Hi, this is the K. Ray Reads to You podcast, and I am K. Ray. And today I'm reading Chapter 6 of The Talking Parcel by Gerald Durrell. Chapter 6 is called The Singing Sea. H. H. was terribly excited at the news that the weasels might join, that the griffins would join, and that Ethelred had found something that threw cockatrices into convulsions. "'Lavender water?' he said. "'How interesting! It gives them a form of hay fever, I expect, like a very nasty cold. I wonder if I can make up a substitute.' "'Don't you grow lavender here?' asked Penelope. "'It grows on one of the islands,' said H. H., but without Hepzibar's herbal I'm afraid I can't remember which one. "'I got terrible hay fever once from a plant when I went on holiday,' said Tabitha. "'Let me just smell it and see if it's the same.' So they gave her the lavender water to smell, and it had the same effect that it had on the cockatrices. Tabitha set fire to two sofas, fourteen cushions, and a table with her sneezes before she was brought back to normal by having a bucket of water poured over her head. "'That's it! That was the plant!' she gasped. "'Oh, my goodness me! I haven't sneezed like that since I used pepper by mistake for face powder.' "'How on earth did you do that?' asked Penelope in surprise. "'Well, I was making up in the dark, you see,' she explained, wiping her still streaming eyes. "'Making up in the dark?' said Penelope. "'Whatever for?' "'Well, it was a midnight ball that I was going to. There was no moon, you see, so naturally I made up in the dark.' said Tabitha. "'Where did you say this plant grew?' asked H. H. "'Golden Goose Island,' said Tabitha. "'We dragons went on a camping holiday there. We all got it. You can imagine how it spoilt our holiday.' Having seen the damage that one dragon could do after smelling lavender, the children could imagine the turmoil of fifty camping dragons, all having lavender fever at the same time. "'Well, that is useful,' said H. H. in a pleased tone of voice. "'Golden Goose Island lies on the direct route to Werewolf Island, "'so you can gather some lavender on your way back. "'I'll make up an infusion of it, and we'll keep it handy.' "'Now we'd better plan the voyage,' said Simon. "'Have you got a chart, H. H.?' "'Yes, I have an excellent one,' said H. H. "'He pulled out a great parchment map that showed the whole of Mythologia, "'and the sea, and all its islands.' "'Now, we are here,' he said, adjusting his glasses, "'and there is Castle Cockatrice over there. "'Now you'll have to get down here to the beach "'and head in the southwesterly direction, "'past Moonraker's March, past the Agate Archipelago. "'Then you'll see Golden Goose Island on your left, "'and north-northeast of that lies Werewolf Island.' "'How long do you think the voyage will take us?' asked Peter. "'Oh, several hours,' said H. H. "'I suppose you haven't got such a thing as an outboard engine, have you?' asked Simon, hopefully. "'I'm afraid not,' said H. H. "'But we can make you a moon-calf jelly sail, and I'll give you a spanking wind to help you along. How's that?' "'Splendid,' said Peter. "'You know, next to attacking Castle Cockatrice, this seems to be an excellent adventure.' "'Don't speak too soon,' warned Parrot. "'Those werewolves are nasty customers.' "'You're not going!' screamed Dulcibel suddenly. "'You're not going to Werewolf Island. I won't have it. I shall sulk. I shall resign. I shall go into hibernation. I shall scream. I shall shout. I shall never, ever, never, ever speak to you again. So there!' So saying, she burst into tears, and pulled down all the curtains on her cage. Penelope went across to Parrot's cage to talk to her. 
"'Dulcibel, dear,' she said, "'we know you think the world of Parrot, and so do we, "'so we wouldn't ask him to come unless it was absolutely necessary. "'You must realize that. "'But I promise you that if you let him come, "'I will see that he takes no risks "'and leaves all the dangerous work to my cousins and me.' "'Well,' said Dulcibel, "'raising one curtain and wiping her eyes with the corner of it, "'if you promise to look after him.' "'I promise,' said Penelope. "'Now, if you women have finished,' said Parrot, in a loud and embarrassed voice, "'perhaps we can get on with the planning of this mission.' "'I reckon,' said Simon, who had been doing a lot of mathematics on a piece of paper, "'I reckon that if H. H. gives us a four-knot wind at dawn to-morrow, barring accidents, "'we should reach Werewolf Island by three-thirty in the afternoon.' "'That means we can collect the rue, and sail all night, "'and be back here by dawn the day after.' "'Do you think you can do it in that time?' asked H. H. doubtfully. "'On no account must you land at night. "'That's when the werewolves are most dangerous.' "'If you can give us a steady wind,' said Simon, "'we should do it.' "'That's no trouble,' said H. H. "'You just tell me the direction and the force, and I'll turn it on. "'Nothing simpler.' "'You must take your seasick pills!' "'shouted Dulcibel suddenly. "'Do be quiet, woman,' said Parrot crossly. "'We are discussing important things.' "'Seasickness is important,' said Dulcibel. "'If you're so seasick you can't run away from a werewolf, "'that's important.' "'I promise I'll see that he takes them,' said Penelope soothingly. "'I'd love to come with you and help,' said Tabitha, "'but I'm afraid I'm too big for the boat.' "'You're too big and I'm too old,' said H. H. "'Ah, well, but I feel guilty at letting you children do all the work and take all the risks.' "'Nonsense,' said Peter. "'I wouldn't have missed this for the world.' "'Nor would I,' said Simon. "'You're not to worry,' said Penelope, throwing her arms around H. H. and kissing him on his rosy cheek. "'We love helping you, and we'll get Mythologia back for you. You see if we don't.' "'Ear, ear, three cheers for Miss Penelope,' said Ethelred, clapping. "'You're very kind, very kind,' said H. H., "'taking off his glasses, which had suddenly become misty, "'and blowing his nose violently. "'Miss,' Ethelred said eagerly, "'can I come too, miss? "'I'm not very big, like, and I wouldn't take up much room, "'and I might be able to help.' "'Of course he can come,' said Simon. "'Brave Toad.' "'Yes, of course,' agreed Peter. "'Quick-witted Ethelred.' "'You can come as my personal protector,' said Penelope, "'and we'll be proud to have you with us.' Ethelred was so overcome that he went as red as fourteen pounds of overripe tomatoes, and he had to go into a corner and blow his nose very vigorously several times. So the next morning, having said good-bye to H. H., Tabitha, and a most tearful Dulcibel, the children, with Parrot and Ethelred, went down one of the many corridors in the crystal caves that eventually led them out on the beach. The sand was like minute pearls, and the tiny champagne-coloured waves broke on the shore with a musical noise, like somebody running his fingers along the strings of the most melodious of harps. No wonder, Penelope thought, it was called the Singing Sea. <clears throat> Into this gentle and melodious sea they launched the dinghy, and immediately, as H. H. had promised, a warm breeze sprang up. The sail furled out like a bay window, and the dinghy went bowling along at a good rate, carrying with it Penelope, the boys, Parrot, and Ethelred, and a hamper full of food provided by H. H. They also had sickles for cutting the rue and the lavender, and large bags for putting the plants in. 
"'Tell me, Parrot,' said Penelope, feeling that she had been asking the same question ever since they had arrived in Mythologia. "'What are werewolves, exactly? I'm sure I've read about them, but I can't quite remember.' "'I remember,' said Simon. "'Aren't they people who are supposed to turn into wolves at full moon?' "'That's right,' said Parrot. "'An ugly superstition, as well as a silly one. But as I told you, in the days when H. H. created Mythologia, a lot of people believed firmly in werewolves, and so there were quite a number about.' They begged to be allowed to come to Mythologia, as they began to die out, and H. H. had to let them. They were a borderline case, of course, but he gave them the benefit of the doubt. He let them set up house on this island we are going to, on condition that they shared it with the other two troublemakers, the Mandrakes and the Will-o'-the-Wisps. Then the Fire-Drakes wanted a fairly gloomy sort of island, so he let them live there, too. "'I've heard of the will-o'-the-wisps, and how they lead you into swamps and quicksands,' said Penelope. "'But what are fire-drakes?' "'Very colourful, said Parrot. "'The most colourful thing in mythologia. "'Related to the will-o'-the-wisps, but they can be hot and cold, "'whereas the wisps are only cold, of course. "'Fire-drakes are nice little fellows, very timid, "'but with charming, straightforward characters. "'The will-o'-the-wisps, on the other hand, are an unruly lot, "'mischievous troublemakers.' "'And the mandrakes?' asked Penelope. "'Are they something like fire-drakes?' "'No, no,' said Parrot. "'Fire-drakes are composed mainly of fire, "'but the mandrakes are plants, "'lazy, good-for-nothing plants at that. "'You see, at one time they were widely used "'in spells and medicine, "'and of course they didn't like that, "'so they invented the scream.' "'The scream?' said Peter. "'How do you invent a scream, for goodness sake?' "'It's such a terrible scream,' said Parrot, "'holding up a claw to emphasize his words. "'Such a hideous, horrifying scream "'that when you hear it, it drives you mad.' "'This was to prevent them from getting plucked?' asked Simon. "'Yes,' said Parrot, "'so now they do nothing but sleep day and night, night and day, "'and should anyone be silly enough to wake them, "'then they all wake up at once and scream at once, "'and you can imagine what that's like.' "'Gosh, and we've got to get through a wood of those?' asked Peter." "'Is it going to be dangerous?' "'I told you this mission would be dangerous,' said Parrot. First we have the mandrakes to worry about, "'then the werewolves, and the will-o'-the-wisps, "'though they won't be about in the daytime, "'and the wolves will be asleep too. "'That's why H. H. insisted that we land on the island during the day. "'It's the least dangerous time.' "'We're making good progress, owing to H. H.'s wind,' said Simon. "'Indeed, the dinghy was bowling over the musical waves at a good pace.' What with the warm sun and warm wind, it was a delightful journey. The water was so clear that twenty feet below them the children could see schools of multicoloured fish swimming about, huge oysters with pearls gleaming in them, and giant lobsters and crabs in a variety of colours. Little flocks of scarlet and blue flying fish would suddenly appear in front of their bows and fly along the surface for a little way, chittering like birds, before plunging into the sea again. "'Ere, miss,' said Ethelred in a low voice to Penelope. "'Ere not afraid of them werewolves, are you? "'There's no need to be, with me along to look after you, honest.' "'I should have been scared,' Penelope said, "'but with you as my personal protector "'I don't feel the slightest cause for alarm.' Ethelred looked immensely pleased at this. "'They had been travelling for several hours, "'and the soothing wind and sun had made them all tired.' Parrot put his head under his wing for forty winks. Ethelred lay on his back with his mouth open, snoring, his top hat on his chest, 
and Penelope and the boys dozed in the balmy air. After Penelope had slept for a while, she woke and lay there thinking that perhaps they all ought to have some lunch. Staring up at the clear green sky with little battalions of colored clouds, she suddenly felt that there was something wrong. Then she realized what it was. They were not moving. She sat up and looked around. As far as she could see, in every direction, they were surrounded by great fronds of seaweed, like purple and green lace, that were actually moving and growing as she watched. The dinghy was firmly aground in the fronds. Then a frond of the beautiful seaweed made its way over the side of the dinghy, like the tentacle of an animal, but growing and expanding as it moved, with a faint rustling sound. Penelope realized that if only two or three bits behaved like this, the dinghy and they themselves would disappear under the pile of purple and green seaweed. "'Parrot!' she shouted, struggling to open the hamper in which she knew there was a knife to cut the seaweed. "'Parrot! Everyone! Wake up! Wake up!' They all woke up and saw in an instant what the problem was. "'Oh, cumbersome and cumulus cauliflowers!' exclaimed Parrot, in annoyance. "'It's that wretched weed. Here, just cut off the bits that come aboard. It will soon stop.' Sure enough, after the children and Ethelred had cut off two or three fronds of the seaweed, it seemed to realize that it was not wanted, and ceased trying to grow all over the dinghy. But they continued to remain stationary.' "'A dreadful nuisance, this,' said Parrot. "'This will hold us up unless I can get some help. "'Here, give me my telescope, Penelope, will you? "'It's just beside you.' "'With his telescope, Parrot anxiously scanned the horizon "'until suddenly he gave a squawk of satisfaction. "'We're in luck,' he said. "'They're working over there. "'The thing is to attract their attention.' "'Who are they?' asked Penelope. "'Mermaids,' said Parrot. "'H.H. H. employs them to keep the weeds under control.' You see, he made a mistake with the spell. Instead of everlasting, you know, like the flowers you saw, he said ever-growing. And once you've gone and done a spell like that, it's impossible to undo, so he had to get the mermaids just to keep it down. It's a full-time job, I can tell you. If they relaxed for a moment, the singing sea would be full of it. I think what we'll have to do is pull ourselves a little nearer and shout." So they all leant over the side and grabbed armfuls of seaweed and pulled. Slowly, inch by inch, they found they could slide the dinghy over the weeds. After pulling and panting for what seemed an age, the children could hear a faint singing drifting across the weeds and water. "'Ahoy!' roared Parrot. "'Ahoy there, Desdemona! Ahoy!' The singing ceased, and there was silence. "'Ahoy!' roared Parrot again. "'It's me, Parrot!' Still there was silence. Then suddenly, right next to the dinghy, the weeds parted, and an enormous mermaid made her appearance, slightly out of breath. She did not look at all like Penelope's idea of a mermaid, for she must have weighed easily three hundred pounds. She had vast quantities of bright blonde hair that fell in ringlets all over her shoulders and chest. Her eyes, which were large, circular, and bright periwinkle blue, had vast quantities of eye-shadow on the lids, and black false eyelashes, as thick as hedges. Her plump hands were beautifully manicured, the nails painted a bright cyclamen pink, and in one of them she held a golden sickle, and in the other a large silver mirror. "'Did I hear a man calling for help?' she inquired, in a deep husky voice, 
fluttering her eyelashes so hard that Penelope thought they might fall off. A man, no doubt, of blue blood and ancient lineage, calling upon me for succor? No, said Parrot, it was me. How are you, Des? Oh, said Desdemona coldly, oh, it's you, Parrot. How simply ripping it is to see you again. I do wish, by the way, that you would not refer to me in that coarse, vulgar way. My name is Desdemona, and I'll thank you to use it. Right, oh, said Parrot, let me introduce you. Penelope, Peter, Simon, Miss Desdemona Williamson Smith Smith Brown, head mermaid. The mermaid laid her massive arms on the side of the dinghy, causing it to tip up at a dangerous angle, and shook hands graciously with each of the children in turn. Charm to meet you, I'm sure, said Desdemona, fluttering her eyelids. Such handsome boys, and such a pretty girl. No tales, of course, but don't let that worry you. It's not your fault. I expect you're terribly well connected with all sorts of dukes and duchesses and lords in your family. I can see it in your faces. Aristocrats, that's what. No, I don't think so, said Penelope. Oh, I'm sure they're there if you search for them, said Desdemona. Take me, for example. Well, I mean to say, you can tell I am well connected, can't you? One doesn't like to mention these things for fear of being thought a snob. No, just one's natural aristocratic bearing tells people you're, well, you know, a cut above them. Exactly, said Penelope, trying not to smile. My whole family is well connected, said Desdemona, on both sides. Do you know, one of my aunts by marriage was waved at by Christopher Columbus. My father's uncle's sister's cousin, for many years, I am told, received letters from no less a person than Lord Nelson himself, letters of the most loving nature. Look, Des, said Parrot impatiently, can't we leave your family history alone until some other time? My dear Parrot, said Desdemona with dignity, I am sorry, I'm sure, if I'm boring you. It's very seldom I get the chance to talk to people of culture and refinement, and I am sure that they are interested, and even if they weren't, they're far too well-bred to say so, unlike you what's behaving as common as dirt. Why, I don't mind hearing about your family, said Parrot cheerfully. It's just that we're in an awful hurry, and this weed's slowing us down. Could you get some of your wenches to cut us a path and give us a push? It's a matter of life and death, old girl, otherwise we wouldn't worry you. Well, said Desdemona, seeing as how it's an emergency, I will certainly ask my young ladies if they would assist you in your predicament. However, I would be glad if you would call me by my correct name, and not old girl in that disgustingly familiar fashion. We mermaids of good connection can't be too careful about our good names, and the use of that expression might lead people to suppose that you and I were on more friendly terms than what we are. "'All right, Miss Williamson Smith-Smith-Brown,' said Parrot, in exasperation. "'Anything you like, but just get a rescue party.' "'Common as common, some of them around here,' said Desdemona in a low voice to Penelope. "'Not like you and me.' She gave Peter and Simon a sparkling smile, waved a fat hand, and sank back into the weed-bed, and disappeared with scarcely a ripple. "'Drat this delay,' said Parrot irritably, pulling his watch out from under his wing and looking at it. "'We're hours behind. That means we'll really have to get a move on when we get out of this weed.' Quite soon Desdemona resurfaced, and with her emerged eight mermaids, of much the same age and shape. Some had yellow hair like Desdemona's, 
others had scarlet hair, and the hair of some was dyed an electric blue. "'Young ladies,' said Desdemona, in her rich husky voice, "'I know you will agree that it is a very great honour to have here with us people what are as well connected as what we are. I am sure I speak for you all when I say, "'Welcome to the cultured and aristocratic company of Lady Penelope and her cousins, what are lords and such in their own right.' "'Here,' said Ethelred suddenly, "'what about me, then?' "'You? What about you?' asked Desdemona. "'Well, I'm a Polish count, I am,' said Ethelred, "'and come from a long and distinguished line of counts, I do.' "'You?' said Desdemona, in astonishment. "'You don't look like a count.' "'Course I don't,' said Ethelred. "'I was changed in me cradle, wasn't I, see?' "'Fascinating, quite fascinating,' said Desdemona doubtfully. "'You must tell me all about it. "'But first, young ladies, let us rescue our noble cargo. "'Now all together, heave-o, and away we go.' "'Displaying much more agility than one would have expected "'from mermaids of such ample figures, "'Desdemona's eight young ladies started scything a path through the weeds.' Desdemona herself swam to the stern, leant her fat arms on it, while propelling the dinghy with her tail, and settled down for a good gossip. "'When I was a gal,' she confided to Penelope, "'before we came and settled in Mythologia, I used to spend a lot of my time in the sea off Brighton.' "'Brighton?' said Peter. "'Simon and I spent our summer holidays there last year.' "'Did you?' said Desdemona. "'Lovely place.' "'Always got such a nice class of person there, if you know what I mean. "'You know, my aunt, on my father's side, that is, "'she was swimming there one day, "'and you'll never guess who came out of one of those bathing machines.' "'Who?' asked Simon. "'King George the Fourth, said Desdemona. "'Oh, yes, his royal highness himself, "'all dressed up in a lovely striped bathing suit he was, my aunt said, "'and wearing a woolly hat to keep his royal head dry, bless him.' and he was wearing beach shoes on his royal feet, so that they wouldn't get cut on the stones. Well, he'd hardly got up to his waist in water when he lost one of his shoes. Such goings-on as you'd never believe, my aunt said. King George shouting and roaring, and all the courtiers and equerries in their land clothes, diving like mad things to find the shoe. "'And what happened?' asked Penelope, fascinated. "'They didn't find it,' said Desdemona. "'But when they'd all gone, my aunt went and had a look, and she found it. "'Yes, and she's got it to this very day in a little glass case. "'The very beach shoe, what was on his royal highness's foot. "'What do you think of that?' "'There can't be many people whose aunts have royal beach shoes,' said Penelope. "'Exactly,' said Desdemona in triumph. "'That's what I'm always telling my girls.' "'Do you go to many garden-parties at Buckingham Palace, my dear?' "'No, not often,' said Penelope truthfully. "'My grandmother swam up the Thames once, and was run down by a barge. "'At first she was very annoyed, for it gave her a black eye, "'and then she realized that it was Queen Elizabeth's own state barge. "'Just fancy that. "'Not many people can say they've been given a black eye by a queen now, can they?' "'Clear sea ahead!' shouted Parrot. "'Get ready to hoist the sail!' "'Well, I have enjoyed our little chat,' said Desdemona, graciously. "'There's nothing like a bit of chin-wag with one, with one what knows what you're talking about when you mention the aristocracy.' "'I've enjoyed it, too,' said Penelope. "'I hope we meet again,' said Simon. "'Yes, I hope so, too,' said Peter. 
"'You're all very gracious,' said Desdemona, fluttering her eyelashes like mad. She gathered her ladies about her, and they all bobbed about in the water, throwing kisses and waving, as the dinghy gathered speed and drew away across the sea. "'Most vexatious delay,' said Parrot, worriedly consulting his watch. "'Most vexatious, and it doesn't seem that we shall go any faster. That means we won't get to Werewolf Island before dark.' "'But H. H. said not to go ashore after dark,' protested Peter. "'I don't think we have any choice,' said Parrot grimly. "'If we don't go ashore and get the rue to-night, "'we'll miss the wind H. H. is putting up for us, "'and it'll take days to get back.' "'Well, then it's up to Peter, you and me,' said Simon. "'Penny can stay with the dinghy, "'and Ethelred will stay with her to guard her.' "'Now look,' Penelope began.' "'Please, Penelope,' said Parrot, "'Simon is quite right. "'If it was daytime it would be different, "'but at night it's far too dangerous. "'You must stay with the dinghy, like a good girl, "'and you and Ethelred can push off into deep water "'if anything happens.' "'Oh, all right,' said Penelope, "'but I don't want to.' "'The dinghy sped on over the waves, "'and Parrot became more and more worried, "'looking at his watch every five minutes "'and scanning the horizon through his telescope.' He was just doing this for the fiftieth time when a strange thing happened. Just ahead of them on the sea—whoops! Just ahead of them the sea suddenly boiled and frothed, as if a sandbank or a reef had suddenly appeared. The waves got rougher and rougher in that one spot. And then the children, who were somewhat alarmed, could see something rising to the surface of the sea. The next moment the huge head of a sea-serpent broke surface, and rose some thirty feet in the air on a long slender neck. It was an enormous head, with nostrils like a hippo's, huge saucer-like eyes, and tattered-looking ears, so large that, at first, the children thought they were wings. Around its chin and lips were a lot of bristly tentacles that made it look as though it had a beard and moustache. Its body was covered with the most beautiful kingfisher blue scales, its eyes were sea-green, and its beard and moustache were bright ginger. On the top of its head, between its ears, it had two strange black horns that looked rather like a snail's horns, and behind them it wore a chef's hat. It peered about, smiling to itself, the sea running off it in waterfalls. Far from being alarmed at this apparition, Parrot seemed positively delighted. "'Oh, good!' he said. "'It's Oswald. What a bit of luck!' "'Is he friendly?' asked Penelope. Of all the animals they'd seen in Mythologia, Oswald was undoubtedly the biggest. "'Oswald?' said Parrot. "'Oswald? Har, har, har! Tamest creature in Mythologia!' "'It was just that he seems to have an awful lot of teeth,' explained Penelope. "'No, Oswald's all right,' said Parrot. "'Tame as three sheep is Oswald.' "'Will he help us?' asked Simon. "'That's what I'm going to ask him,' said Parrot. "'The thing is to attract his attention. "'He's a bit hard of hearing.' Parrot went up into the bows of the dinghy, cupped his wings around his beak, and shouted, "'Oswald, it's me, Parrot! "'I'm here, you ninny, in the boat!' Oswald looked vaguely about. Then suddenly he saw the dinghy. Immediately his eyes widened in astonishment. "'A crumpet!' he screamed with delight. "'After all these years! A crumpet! A green crumpet!' He surged forward, bent down, and before anyone could make a move, he had engulfed in his mouth the dinghy, the three children, Parrot, Ethelred, the hamper full of food, the sickles, 
and the bags for the rue and lavender. "'Oh, dear!' thought Penelope, as the huge jaws, with their white teeth, closed around them. "'This definitely is the end of our adventure!' And that's the end of chapter six. See you next time.